Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It's a Brother, Brother podcast today, and we're talking about the passing of Rick Ocasek and the cars. You can now listen to episodes on the BrotherPod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. You can also interact with us directly through our TalkBack feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download on your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's remember Rick Ocasek and talk about his band, The Cars. Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast today, and a sad one as we are marking the uh, passing of of one of my favorites, uh, Rick Ocasek, uh, lead singer of the Cars and producer extraordinaire. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to revisit... I think a lot of people, after uh, Rick Ocasek's passing in, uh, on the 15th of September, a lot of people have gone back and kind of listened to those albums uh, and are coming up with the same, you know, sort of universal response, which is, these, these records are great. And uh, I, I just, uh, they never went off uh, my rotation. So it, it's kind of a, um, uh, I don't think it's a, I guess it's an overdue uh, recognition, but it's it's kind of never not been there. I don't know what what's your take on how the cars are perceived in in the greater world, not really having fully lived through them. Yeah, I mean, I lived through them in in spirit or in in actual being alive, but um, really wasn't kind of in they weren't ingrained in my music world until probably you know the eighty one album Shake It Up and. And then the smash hit Heartbeat City. So going back, I think it was a band that um, I, I always liked as a kid. And, uh, you know, they were a big MTV band for me, things like that, when, when the first kind of years of MTV. But not until I was in my 20s and really getting into music was I kind of reintroduced to their sort of one-two punch of, uh, you know, 78's The Cars and Candy O. And... Um, I'll punt it back to you and kind of say, you know, since you were probably prime age for both those records and, and you know, kind of probably the age I was when, when they're more, you know, mid-80s, you know, kind of smash albums came out on MTV. Um, it, it's a band that, you know, I think is kind of sorely underrated, um, and I might be wrong there, but um, reminds me a lot of, you know, the first two Pretenders albums that I also went back to probably around the same time and, and realized were so amazing. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good call because I think there is, you know, much like the Pretenders, there is, I mean, without the, without, thankfully, without the tragedy, um, you know, there are, there are two unbelievable records and then a sort of slow petering out and then a, a you know, a sort of uh, 
reinvention as, as more of a pop group. And, um, you know, I just, I, I couldn't remember. And it was, you know, I sort of wrestled with this question. I'm not sure if it was, uh, you know, keeping me up at night for the last 40 plus years, but, um, you know, I, I wrestled with the question whether the cars were nostalgic for me or whether those albums are as great as I thought they were when they came out. And I mean, just to give you some context, I was nine when the Cars first album came out and 10 when Candio came out. So it's prime age for that, that sort of miscalculation of something being amazing and then finding yeah. out that it's, it's kind of in the middle of the road. But I think in this case, eight, you know, nine-year-old, 10-year-old me was actually kind of right. Like these albums sounded like a revelation at the time. They sounded so different, like from outer space. And uh, they were kind of perfect yeah, I was going to say it's it's a weird kind of mix of, um, uh, I guess, what we call New Wave or what, what they were calling New Wave, the record execs were calling New Wave. But I was, I think, taken aback at how interesting and how kind of like uh, forward those albums are. And we're talking about The Cars, the self-titled debut, and, and uh, Candy O, I guess, kind of as a pair. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things where, like, again, you know, I know songs off of those albums definitely, you know, throughout the years and, and high school years and greatest hits and all that stuff and radio, classic rock radio, stuff like that. But, um, but you know, I certainly was introduced to them via the, the kind of more poppy smash hits and... Um, I kind of had written them. I don't know. I didn't write them off, but you know, no, it's understandable. Less, yeah, less sort of uh, gave them less street cred, right? Than than some of the other groups of that time, the Devos and the Perubus, and you know the the kind of the other, harder edge, more weird. More, yeah, post punk sort of new wave sounds, and um, but those albums are really weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're really good. Well, I mean, like the first. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean they're not like unless they're very listenable and very you know. Um, there's a lot of like rock elements and and uh, new wave and you know certainly power pop. I guess would be you know kind of the the mix there. But well, there's a couple. But yeah, the synth sounds are much more like progressive than I than I remembered. And pronounced. Um, you know, it was a weird band, and I can I can sort of give you the the history, the makeup of the band. Um, you know, I mean one of the things that. I think people were most shocked by when Rick Ocasek died was how old Rick Ocasek was. Um, right. You know, it, he he was sort of ageless in the sense that he looked pretty much the same from the time we discovered him to the time he, he died. Um, you know, he sort of had a, a you know, a goony alien kind of look to him, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He was a really, uh, you know, he had a, he had a distinctive yeah, he had a, look. He had a great look for a rock star yeah Yeah. and a great look for a music critic which he was not uh (laughs) but uh he um you know he he and ben or uh okasic being uh was from baltimore moved to cleveland as a teenager met ben or through the local music scene up there they started a band called milkwood um in the late 60s that was kind of like a uh, you know, from what I've read, and and I did listen to him a little bit uh, just on research, but kind of a you know Crosby, Stills and Nash wannabe, um, you know folk seventies AM kind of uh, Pocoish kind of band. Or the same age then? Uh, yeah, but um, unfortunately, uh, Ben Orr uh, passed away in two thousand. Um, yeah, I remember. Was it cancer or? Yeah, he died of pancreatic cancer. He was actually a little bit younger. 
um, than Rico Kasich, but it, you know, he passed away at I think 52 or 53 years old. Um, but so they start Milkwood, they move to Boston, hotbed of, uh, of music in the, uh, seventies and eighties, uh, or sixties, seventies and eighties. And they have a band called Cap'n Swing, which, uh, thank God they changed the name. Uh, it was actually Cap'n with an apostrophe N, uh, swing. And this is where it become interesting to you. They were championed. And I think Okasic dated it was it's sort of vagary. Um, one of the lead disc jockeys on our on the local rock station in Boston, the big local rock station in Boston, WBCN, a woman by the name of Maxan Sartori. Yeah. There, so there you go. Um, yeah. There's your there's your link to fame. Um, exactly. And uh, but she, you know, I guess she got them played, and then ultimately the band configuration uh, changed. Um, Elliot Easton, guitar player, uh, was in Cap and Swing with Ben Orr and Rick Kasich. They then recruited Greg Hawks, who had played on some uh, Milkwood and Cap and Swing stuff, and uh, David Robinson, who was the drummer from The Modern Lovers, and that became The Cars, and, and they released their debut in 78. I think there was a bit of a bidding war. Um, between Electra and Arista. Um, oddly enough, I just watched the Clive Davis documentary on Netflix two nights ago, and I could see, um, sort of, uh, in, you know, in the documentary how keen Clive Davis was on signing people once he set his sights on it. But, uh, alas, they, uh, jumped over to Electra to sort of counterbalance, uh, the, uh, you know, the heavy folk rock nature of, um, of the bands on the Electra roster with with a more, you know, they thought they would distinguish themselves more as a modern sound. And there you have it. But what I was going to say, you know, that a lot of people have commented was if you listen to the Cars' first album, much the same as the Pretenders' first album, you could really mistake it as a greatest hits record. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think it's one of those records I almost thought was you know um because it's called the cars as well i mean yeah exactly and it has the sort of iconic album cover and the um you know and so many great songs and and yeah it's one of those bands that just seemed to come out i think you use this phrase quite a bit fully formed yes it was uh i do abuse that term (laughs) what's that i do abuse and overuse that term but it is true in this case yeah, no, I mean, it was a band that was right away. And I, I guess it, what's kind of interesting to me, too, in, in 1978, is that the, fir- the first album, correct? Correct. Um, so, like, in 1978, was anyone else doing this? I know the, the sort of New York Dolls and there was the punk scene kind of going on, but there, there was th- that hadn't quite merged with the new technology of synth. And, you, you know, I guess you had Devo and bands like that, too, but... But um, but even did these Devo's guys first, kind of even capture early, a sound, or did they come out and and sort of bring a new, a, a, a truly new sound? I guess were they kind of taking something that was on the ground and making it more commercial, or was it something that they you know kind of were pioneering? I think they were melding a couple of things, and it's funny because it, it really is, um, you know, Greg Hawks's keyboard playing that makes them as unique yep. as they are because. Even, but even going back to something like Devo, which, you know, you then you sort of equate with, um, you know, s- synthesizers and, and experimentation, they were pretty much, I mean, they were a very weird rock band, but they weren't super 
keys heavy until a little bit later. Like the first record is pretty guitar oriented. Yeah, pretty. It reminds me a lot of like a good. I mean, it's almost like um, making. I, I kind of look at it as like the power pop that we love of the late seventies. Exactly. Um, but from an East Coast city as opposed to the Midwest or something, you know. Um, <laughs> like, well, the funny thing, less Beatle influence. The, one of the funnier things about, you know, and, and speaking of coming out fully formed and, and being on a major label right from the get-go, and, I mean, when you think that, like, um, you know, those early punk records were kind of being produced on the fly by people who became name brands, I mean, the first two Cars records are uh, are produced by Roy Thomas Baker, who was best known for being Queen's producer. So it's not as if, you know, this was from, you know, this wasn't, they weren't designed to be a garage band. They were designed to be world conquerors. Um, Yeah, no. And the songwriting and the kind of, um, you know, I mean, the the poppiness. I mean, you know, I guess kind of like the Pretenders, like Christiane and stuff. Who was the primary? Was it Rick Ocasek? Rick Ocasek wrote basically all the songs. That's what I thought. But there was, you know, I mean, I think... Like all of these bands that you know later sort of unfortunately uh, have some infighting and, and lawsuits um, regarding uh, shared revenues, uh, you know I don't think he was solely responsible for the sound. And certainly, you know that like you said, uh, I think before we hopped on, it was always difficult for you to to tell who was singing on a on a uh, car song. He he was very. Uh, generous or very knowledgeable when it came to knowing um, the potential of a hit. It seems like he passed off a lot of their biggest hits on vocals to uh, Ben Orr. I mean, Let's Go, um, You're All I've Got Tonight, um, you know, a lot of the the bigger, much more obvious power pop songs are sung by Ben Orr. Right. No, and, and I think we were kind of talking about that prior. And, and yeah, when you do kind of listen, you can catch the nuanced differences. And was it a band that kind of launched the sound at the time? Yes. Or do you? Okay, that's what I kind of. I yeah. mean, it was a look, a band. It was, I kind of love the fact that, you know, in 1978, you had, you know, the journeys and the, you know, big. Boston, all the big, you know, kind of rock, gluttonous rock bands, um, and then these guys were the skinny tie, sort of short hair. Yeah, they kind of cut the cut the difference, split the difference between yeah the punks and the and the arena rocks. And sorry, it was uh, just what I needed, not your all I've got tonight. That just Ben Orson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was uh, you know they were coming out around the same time as really Tom Petty when you think about it, and Joan yep. Jett, and um, you know Petty was. Again, you know, more of a straight-ahead rock guy, but he was always lumped in with New Wave for reasons I've yet to figure out. Joan Jett was lumped in with New Wave, which doesn't make it. I can see that a little more, but I mean, just because she came from more of a punky yeah. background, I feel like. But um, but yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't. It's very rock and roll. I think uh, you brought it to my attention, but it's always been. One of my favorite anecdotes uh, from Please Kill Me. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> Do you, I, uh, it was, um, yeah, and I, I'm trying to think. I can't remember if it was Richard Hell or Johnny Thunders. Johnny Thunders. One of, <laughs> one of the junkies. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in the many junkies in that book. Uh, but yeah, it was a great quote, and I'm gonna um, paraphrase it or whatever. But mis- but he basically was talking about how like they actually, you know, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers were were really kind of. Um, you know they were high on on themselves breaking big and, and touring I think Europe at the time and, and getting large crowds and then they heard the cars and he was just like fuck <laughs> we're toast you know like these guys that is so the good. end of the story <laughs> yeah like oh. they just they knew that they were going nowhere oh fuck yeah I think that was the uh, universal because uh, it is it is perfect sounding and and going back to the production which I don't want to dwell on that much but. You know, uh, Roy Thomas Baker being, you know, working the boards is is no small thing. Um, he's, you know, no, you know, he's what his gig is to make a big, humongous rock record. And yep. that sort of, uh, you know, um, informed, interestingly, uh, Rick Ocasek's production career, because I think he, you know, he's notably worked with a ton of bands that a lot of people who are sort of casual Cars fans would never uh, have heard of probably, but also who, you know, the more knowledgeable ones might not have equated Rick Ocasek with with being this far out on a limb in terms of uh, the bands that he worked with. I mean, he produced Suicide, he produced Bad Brains, he produced, um, later, uh, later he produced, uh, you know, Weezer and Guided by Voices. Guided by Voices, yep. And, um, you know, I mean, he had a lot of whole... I mean, he worked with a ton of people that, um, you know, I, it, it it seems equitable. I mean, it seems uh, you could draw the, the dotted line, but most people, having heard what amounts to a self-produced Cars record like Heartbeat City, wouldn't necessarily think that Rick Ocasek had the edge to kind of discover yeah do a bad brains record yeah and so i thought it was always interesting that he had his his hands in that and i think it you know again it it kind of speaks to the the vision that he had for what the cars were going to be um you know which was a a great you know power pop band with flourishes yeah, and were they resented at the time, or were they loved? Or I mean, I know they were big hits, but was it like a band that, like, um, I think you said they kind of split the difference, right? So were the you know um, Bob Seger folks and the and the uh, Johnny Thunders crowd kind of into the Cars, or was I it think just so? Sort of you know, I I, radio, I, I can't a hundred percent tell you because, but I do think they kind there. of in a weird way existed on an island. I mean, they were very much identified as a Boston band if they had a, a geographical home. And yep. uh, and they were on the sort of the near side of, of, you know, sort of experimental early 80s Boston stuff, you know, the hard, hardcore scene and things like Mission of Burma and Till Later Till Tuesday, um, things like that. They were on the downside of, of the classic rock portion of, of you know, Boston's... Uh, Preeminence, which was, you know, Jake Isles and Aerosmith and Boston itself. So it's kind of hard, you know, they're the missing link in a in the local scene, but they also, I think, um, existed as an island because of the CBGB explosion and the Southern California and, you know, the, the sort of more experimental stuff that was going on in Ohio and Detroit. Um, you know, they were kind of off on their own. And actually, you know, 90% of people thought they were British. 
Yeah, and I think like similar to like we were talking about the Pretenders, and I, I hate to keep going back to that, but I think of both those They're bands, both, both and, Ohio bands. Know, yeah, both Ohio originally, and and I also think um, you know you mentioned Tom Petty and some other things that like are grouped in a new wave, but I, I find both those groups to be islands unto themselves, like both very successful out of the gates, both had kind of a look and sound that was kind of, um, you know, really hit that early 80s. Changing the times, um, late 70s. Yeah, late uh, scene. And then Rick Ocasek, you know, um, going on and obviously mar- marrying... Uh, Paulina. Paulina, which was like a huge deal back then as well. So... I, I, as far as um, like touring group and and things like that, they were a band that I, if I remember the story correctly, just never really played live much. Though they were they, not very good at playing live. They weren't a great teams, live so. band. Yeah, I mean, as you can tell, there you know there was a in the early days of MTV, um, there was they used to play back to back concerts on I think it was Friday nights or Saturday nights and uh, they used to play this German concert that the cars had done and they really did lose something live I mean they were they were you know they were uh, older first yeah they were older and they were also just they were definitely multi you know their hits are, are heavily vocally tracked um, yeah you know those backing vocals and that's one of the things I think Rick Ocasek wanted to dumb down in his production of other bands and his own band which was the the initial you know uh, Roy Thomas Baker uh, you know gazillion tracked vocals that uh, you know Queen was rode to the top of the charts and, and you know the first Cars album on something you know the uh, you know some of those uh, hits are, are are you know multi multi vocal track. It sounds awesome to me, but you know Rick Ocasek wanted a more tr- a truer sound that they could reproduce live, and I think they were live a little bit of a disappointment for as a live band, and and you know really Rick Ocasek retreated into the studio pretty permanently in the mid eighties. Yeah, and so. The you have two kind of classic. Well, one I think obvious classic, the first album in Candio as well, um, which you have a, a weird connection to as as well via your uh, brother-in-law. Is that yeah, I <laughs> think he. Album. You know, he. I'm not sure if that's verifiable. My my, but my great great aunt apparently uh, promoted the cars. Yeah. on radio and, and uh, there is a uh, there. I don't know. There's there's many. Rumors and you know misconceptions about the the title Candio, but my brother-in-law went to school with a woman named Candio Sullivan, uh, from who was from um, the Boston area, who has reputedly um, that that may have been the uh, inspiration for the title. Nice. Um, so it's a band that you know goes from two kind of classic albums and to shake it up which would be my my first intro via my seven inch and your uh, fisher Fisher price Price record player yeah exactly um i mean was there a a a quick kind of like i mean how did as a fan of the cars like how was that taken that sort of poppier i guess more even more commercial kind of sound less rock forward um I think you know there there were sort of diminishing returns on Panorama and uh, Shake It Up is kind of seems forgettable, but it's obviously the bridge to the much bigger. Um, yeah, you know they had 
they had their moment. They were kind of in decline. And then they had their second moment, which was... Shake It Up also had Since You're Gone. It was a pretty big hit, too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, the the massive uh, Heartbreak City uh, right. was, you know, that bolstered a lot by uh, the sort of wacky videos of magic and You Might Think, uh, starring, yeah. starring Paulina Portskova. Um it's uh, they they sort of had a, a rise, a very rapid rise, a little bit of a lull, and then a second rise. I think the second rise, I was kind of done with them. I didn't really like songs like uh, you might think, and I mean now that I revisit them, they're kind of innocuous. Yeah, they're fun, but they're definitely um, dumbed down version of the first two. I mean, I, I think you can't. Well, I'm sure for some people, they're pretty great albums but it's kind of like uh you know she's a man eater by hollow notes or something it's just not <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not exactly. the worst thing to hear on the radio but it's not not the greatest either. it's not as good as as their yeah. early stuff yeah i think that's a, pretty safe to say but those videos really it's amazing the that power of video back in 1984 um, well and i think they were one of the uh first groups to really capitalize on that i think they might have won the first or second ever MTV but, Musical Video Award. I believe you. I believe you are correct. And then you know, I mean, there was something to the the sort of celebrity that went with Rick Ocasek marrying the top model in the world. Yeah. And um, you know, really being married until uh, last year. So um, and they were you know they were Gramercy Park um, stalwarts. Everybody in the neighborhood. Yeah, the thing is, everybody who's ever said much about Rick Ocasek has always talked about what a good guy he is, and that you know goes from you know industry people to like the pizza guy and the hardware store guy in Gramercy Park, mm-hmm. uh, where I actually used to live, right around the corner from them. I mean, everybody loved the guy. He was very friendly, said hello to everybody, um, just a kind, nice guy, and uh, so why not um, you know marry the the world's top supermodel. Um, yeah, and it, it strikes me as one of those bands, too. Like, um, I'm sure there are people that don't love the cars as much as you do, or, you know, even I do, but it's a band, I think, like Tom Petty, where it's kind of hard not to, to no, find no, any fault with. Nobody I understand hates why the people, cars. <laughs> exactly. I understand why people hate Bruce Springsteen or hate, you know, there's certain artists that you get, but um, I, I've never met anybody who. <laughs> Hates the first two. Let the good times roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it's true. It's. I mean, I think you're you're the first two Cars records, um, and and Petty's the the bulk of Petty's catalog is where you know where the world sort of meets in the middle. Yeah, where we hands across America. I mentioned <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful no, it's, sentiment. It, it's great. Um, well, sh- give me. Let's hear something, and then let's go over the the what kind of happened to the band, and then uh, let's um, and then we can wrap it as we usually do. And, and so, um, okay. what do you want to hear from the? the I was cars? I was gonna say let's let's listen to "Let's Go" because it just that that song takes off and it, it sort of encapsulates everything we're talking about yeah. the the hookiness of the songwriting, the power the of cool the keyboards. yeah, the, and the power of the. Uh, uh, production and the the sound that I, I took completely remember hearing this song for the first time and just being like this is the greatest song ever made. Boom. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like before we we pop that song on, you know, when you think of like 
classic rock, maybe Sweet Home Alabama comes into your head, I think, when you think of, or whatever, you know, Zeppelin or something, but there's certain sounds, and I think New Wave, like, the cars really own that. If somebody says New Wave or, or talks about New Wave, they're probably one of the first bands that, that are going to come to your head, so let's hear it. Welcome back, brother, brother, brother pod, and, and today it's just Wynn and I, and we're uh, reminiscing over the loss of Rick Ocasek and one of our favorite uh, bands here. Both of us happen to be in the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, one thing that I, I kind of was thinking about um, as I went back and, and was listening to the, the Cars, um, just, you know, with R- Rick Ocasek passing and, and then just kind of also because uh, knowing that we were going to talk about it and just also enjoying these albums so much. Um, I, didn't, I never really, really, like, they just went away in my mind. Like, what, what was the backstory to their demise? Infighting, uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier there was some sort of, you know, um, some song rights. I know some of the band went off with Todd Rundgren at one point. Give me some of the, the I think it was. I think it was more ending. of a fizzling out than a... Uh, their last album, Door to Door, was pretty... Um, I mean, it was the sound, uh, another phrase I've used more than once, a sound, the sound of a band running out of ideas. Um, yep. Rick Ocasek was, you know, uh, doing a lot of producing. Um, and so, the, you know, the official breakup, I believe, was 1988, um, a few years after they'd had their massive hits with, with Drive and Magic and, and um, You Might Think. Um, and I think they just called it quits. Uh, Ocasek never liked a tour, so it wasn't like they had to disentangle themselves in that regard. I think the rest of the band kind of, uh, foundered a bit, um, in the years later. I mean, Rick Ocasek had a pot of money from his songwriting credits, uh, to sit on and the rest of the band kind of languished a bit. Um, and I think there was some, you know, some bad ill will and bad feelings about uh, somebody being the sole creator of all of those songs since, you know, I think they were um, a collective, you know, sort of collectively done. He would bring in the skeletons of the songs, the demos, on a very stripped-down basis, and they would add flourishes. I mean, you know, Greg Hawks talks about... I've heard him talk about, you know, what is a car song without the keyboard lines that I bring to it. You know, I mean, it's 
Yeah. And, I, you know, I mean, he may have a point, but, you know, legally not a leg to stand on. So I think um, the the bit with Todd Rundgren, I believe, actually happened. I You know, I didn't realize this at the time. I thought there was an acrimonious kind of thing. Um, but I think Rico Casey gave his blessing for Todd Rundgren, another tall, geeky uh, yeah. guy who, who, <laughs> who managed to keep the exact same look for about 400 years. Um but, uh, you know, in a worthwhile replacement, I don't think it ever went anywhere. And, you know, they toured a couple times, you know, it, and that was about it. I mean, Rico Kasich produced, you know, Weezer records and had a great, you know, the, the whole band had a massive influence. And you can sort of feel like it is one of those bands, almost like the Bee Gees, where it, their influence was pretty low key for about 10 years and then about you know, 15 years after their demise in the late nineties, early two thousands, people started going, Hey, cars are pretty fucking great. And that's, yeah. that's I mean, when you, you get bands like the killers that. and I was just, yeah, yeah. just going to say the killers popped right into my head. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kasich produced the cribs, um, which is another yeah. band that, that bites pretty heavily. Um, there was, you know, it was a, it wasn't, People were no longer afraid to uh, make big bombastic uh, rock anthem, you know, and and power pop again. And then that, you know, the Killers, I think, more than anybody, really owe a, a huge debt of gratitude uh, to the Cars. Yeah, and I definitely think you hear it, and especially that early two thousand uh, resurgence of kind of um, new wave rock and and kind of punk stuff that came out of New York for sure and, and killers not being from there but but even the strokes in general and... yeah yeah I would say there's yeah there's stroke songs that are very cars ish and uh, more so than Johnny Thunders or you know some of those other groups that that uh, those guys certainly stole the look from <laughs> you know so um, well awesome yeah well R.I.P. One of our favorite bands. I think uh, I'm glad that people are, are kind of going back and, and listening to those records. It's a shame that it's due to, to you know, the passing of Rico Kasich, but um, but it's something that uh, like you know, I, I think especially the first two records are just you know classics. I mean, they're they're right up there with anything else that uh, is you know best in class. Well, it's, it, yeah, and the one thing I just wanted to add, and I had sort of touched on it earlier, is is you know, I mean, Rico Kasich was by no means. Um, I mean, he 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 died prematurely. Certainly, he was seventy five years old, but. If you think about what 75 years old means at this point, he's more of a contemporary of the Beatles and the Stones age-wise than he is right. of, you know, the people that, that uh, you know, he was really contemporary of musically, you know, during the, the uh, prime of their career. Um, you know, a lot of those people were in their teens and early 20s when they broke people like Joan Jett and... and uh, you know, even I mean, Chrissy Hindy was even a little bit older, but a lot of the bands that he would have come up with are, you know, relatively young people still. Um, he was, uh, you know, in his early to mid thirties when the Cars hit. Um, so it was, uh, you know, that was a big shocker for a lot of people to find out that he was as old as he was. Yeah, I always knew that um, he was pretty old, but I didn't, you know, I didn't quite. He seemed sort of ageless. in a weird way old and ageless. Yeah, yeah. So it was, 
in the same way, yeah, when somebody is has the you know has a look for that long, it's it's kind of like okay, well they they just they don't seem to be aging. No, uh, not at all. Anyway, do you want to end this uh, like we end every episode? Yeah, definitely. Um, what are you listening to? Oh, I've got a backlog of things, but uh, I just read a, a really uh, fun twisty novel um, that uh, you know, like a, a kind of a. Uh, crime thriller called Bluebird Bluebird um, by Attica Locke and I couldn't help thinking while I was reading it that it would make a great TV show and alas it has been signed on by FX to become a terrific TV show so it uh, you know if they need a writer um, they should uh, call you up yeah that's true um, no but it definitely falls in the same uh, genre and setting as uh, something like Hell or High Water, the film. Nice. Um, it's a Texas, you know, about a Texas Ranger, African American Texas Ranger solving a, a current crime. So it's it's a it's a fun it's a good book. It's a great read. Um, that and the Ken Burns music documentary, which we may do a full pot on when I catch you guys up on it, because it's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Um... Everybody in the country is about to get a master's degree in in the history of country music. <laughs> country music, nice. What are you listening yeah, to? So, um, you know, it's funny. I, I've been kind of uh, traveling a bit, and I'm gonna switch it up. I, I did just start the book, The Sympathizer, which I love, but I have not gotten far enough into it to talk about. And I know that's an old fave of yours and Christian. But I um, actually just spent some time in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm going to talk about food. So instead of listening or watching, I've been eating. And uh, spent some time in Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite cities to visit and drink and eat in. Um, and uh, two places that kind of blew me away while I was out there, um, a place called Pok Pok, which is a Southeast Asian sort of street food um, restaurant, really authentic, really, really uh, just interesting, fresh yummy food and they do that very well in the northwest and then the second was a pizza place that i actually went to twice and i rarely do that when i'm visiting a city because there's lots of places i canceled a a reservation at le pigeon which is the uh sort of james beard restaurant and ended up going back to the pizza place that i ate in the first night i was there and it's called uh, a pizza shoals and it's um in the uh hawthorne area of portland and it takes one of our classic favorite cheese pizzas from Regina's here in Boston and just kind of updates it slightly but uh and you know enough that probably the ingredients are a little better but the taste is spot on and and one of the best pizzas I've had in forever and and uh you know surprisingly in the Pacific Northwest not in the New York or or Boston area so so you are go with a a food pitch for that you are the Max Ansartori of of pizza shoals I am. I know all our listeners when they're in, in Portland, a city I strongly uh, suggest you get out to at some point. It's a lot of fun. And so, uh, what do you want to put a, a song on the on the um, six billion four hundred million <laughs> uh, ten best songs of all time? I do, and uh, not quite Cars, New Wave, but definitely uh, kind of a, a new new wave ish uh, post punk song. I'm going to throw on there. And I think I might be the the only person that would put the Cure on our on our uh, on our playlist. So um, I'm gonna go with Cure. Have like about four songs that I think could could land on the playlist personally. But the one that uh, I've always felt kind of holds up really well and um, 
is a, a, just a great song is off the head and the door and that's the song the opening track in between days oh that's awesome i'm glad it got there um yeah so what are you thinking you know i'm just gonna play it uh straight and i'm gonna put let's go by the cars on because yeah it's awesome it should be there <laughs> and that's the end nice so uh cool. go do your thing and i will talk to you very soon we'll do another very very soon sounds good all right I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.